Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, good afternoon. Hope you're all right. It's Sally Hughes here with my co-host Kate Sevilla. Hello. Hi. Uh, we've got a good show today. I think we've got a couple of really, really interesting guests who've just written great books. So we've got Daisy Buchanan, who you probably know. If you know who I am, I'm sure you know who she is because she was also a writer on The Pool and writes for lots of the same publications as me. Uh, she has a book out, The Sisterhood, which came out last week, which we'll talk about more. And we have Nicola Lewis, who may be less familiar to you unless you are on Instagram, where she is massive. She is This Girl Can Organise, and her new book, Mind Over Clutter, comes out tomorrow. Um, which we're also going to be talking about and all things tidying. That was Little Mix Salute and the reason for that is that Daisy's book is all about friendship and the sisterhood and women propping one another up and so today's playlist is all about female empowerment and friendship. Yeah. That's a nice, nice. it's a nice message, isn't it? It is nice. And that is a banger, fair play to Little Mix. That's we may song. not be natural Little Mix fans but that's a great record. Very good. Hello Daisy. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I am newly caffeinated after not really having any proper coffee all morning, so I'm dead chirpy. <laughs> um, and Nicola, you're new to the show, I and am. we're going to be talking about your book some more, but first we're going to be talking about the biggest news story, really, let's face it. It's a grim one, but it's an important one from a cultural point of view. Um, and from the point of view of enlightenment and trying to understand um, the phenomenon of abuse, Michael Jackson... So Leaving Neverland uh, was a two-part documentary on Channel 4, four hours in total, quite the marathon. Mm. And it was based on the testimony of Wade Robson and James Safechuck, who um, allege, I would say very credibly and convincingly, that they were groomed by Michael Jackson from the ages of seven, I believe, um, until they were in their mid-teens, when it seems to be the case that they ceased to be attractive and desirable. So these two guys have come out and been interviewed and allowed their families to be interviewed for this very um, shocking documentary. I think even those of us who Mm. felt that something bad had gone on, it was still very shocking, the the details within. Mm. Um, And the response has been mixed in that obviously hardcore Michael Jackson fans um, are standing by him. Some Michael Jackson fans must be going through a tough time having the scales fall away from their eyes and very many of us believe um, that he was guilty. His estate, we must say, his estate are saying this absolutely didn't happen, though I would say, (laughs) how could the estate possibly know what went on behind locked bathroom doors Mm. with only two people in them, one of whom was a child? Mm -hmm. That many, many other children have had very, very similar stories too, but sure, guys. So how did you feel watching it, Kate? Oh, my Lord. Um, I was just completely blown away. I was, I had seen on Twitter, okay, the first, um, first part is quite harrowing to watch, but the, the second part really is really important because it shows the aftermath and the, the huge impact and effect that this had on their lives. Um, it was extremely, extremely hard to watch and just heartbreaking. I just wept and wept and wept and I watched 
the I think there was a on YouTube um, Oprah in the yes, states had did too. yes an hour special with both Wade and James and the the documentary maker and I kind of needed that to yeah. kind of see how they are now yeah. and to kind of walk us through what their experience is like from going to film festivals and the public reaction and support from people as well as the uh, you know death threats from Michael Jackson fans that they had been receiving I mean seriously just shut up. just so and they had some of that in the documentary didn't they yeah. just some YouTube clips of people who were just like oh you know fuck Wade Robson um, I thought I thought um, what Oprah did was particularly tactful and sensitive in that she made sure the entire studio audience was made up of victims yes. of sexual abuse um, men and women mm-hmm. of all ethnicities talking about their abuse or who had come out about their abuse and it, it ensured that that conversation felt safe I think. Yeah no it did it absolutely did and I think that too to her credit although we both I think it's been you know widely shared part of her story is that she um, suffered from I think rape or sexual assault when she was younger and so you know that she has an affinity towards these two people as as being a victim herself but I still felt that her interview with them was very objective and she did ask them hard questions and said okay well Mm -hmm. you you know denied that you were abused when you were 11 years old but then at 22 you did go on the stand and say why did you lie then and okay if you're not after financial gain why did you sue for millions of dollars you know so for those who missed it both boys had testified in favor of Michael Jackson when they were Mm -hmm. children they had said no 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 nothing untoward goes on at all it's just fun it's just sleepovers we just sleep in the same bed and they at his request had testified in his support and then later on when he had been back in court several years later one of them James Safechuck I believe uh, said that he didn't want to testify and Michael Jackson became extremely angry at that point and Mm -hmm. sort of cut him off for not testifying in his favour again and so now they're coming out in direct conflict to their original testimony and uh, and saying that actually all this time this was happening. Daisy did you watch the documentary? I didn't see all of it. I found it incredibly hard to watch. But what mm. I think is really interesting about the response is I'm I'm sort of surprised that there's this reaction now because I think there have been so many stories about uh, Michael Jackson, obviously allegations, um, and obviously nothing has been, you know, legally, I can't say that sort of that they're true. I think I always believed that there was some mm. some truth in those stories. But I suppose what made me, I think, hopeful is... I feel as though, even though there has been this response from fans who are defending Michael Jackson, that there's a real sense that it's so important to listen to these these young men and yeah. there's lots of courage in the fact they're putting this, themselves in this position and sharing this story. And I think that what we're doing now that's different, I hope, is we are realising just how serious and damaging abuse can be. That I think that... Um, and, you know, there's a, a history of it in, in entertainment and I think it reminds us all that ultimately it's about power, isn't it? That mm-hmm. the, it's always a powerful person seeking to exploit a powerless person and up to a point you know things like sort of gender is often immaterial it just so happens to be that you know quite traditionally sort of you do you know we've had lots of stories and women coming forward and saying they've been abused by powerful men because yeah. that's how the mm-hmm. power balance yeah. mm-hmm. exists but sure I think what this is doing is making this a universal problem and it feels quite alarming now, and it is. It breaks my heart to see, not just for these these young men, but also everybody who's been abused or, um, you know, experienced sort of sexual trauma at the hands of someone else, to have 
fans defending this powerful dead man, I think that, you know, as someone who has, you know, experienced sexual abuse myself, I, I struggle with that and that I find mm. that very, very difficult. But I think that there is hopefully a culture of people, you know, being listened to and abusers and victims being given a lot more credibility. I think what was really interesting, you talking about the, the power and his inordinate fame, I, it, there was a very interesting moment in the Oprah show mm. when one of the guys, who's now an adult, obviously, said, my family and I were groomed before we ever met him. Mm. Because, yes. because it was, I think Oprah said, it's like staring into the sun and yeah. being yeah. expected to see straight. Yeah. You know, because he was... Famous in a way that people aren't even famous anymore. Yeah, like, yeah. so huge. It, it, yeah. it was beyond any modern yeah. frame of reference, really. So for me, I was a huge Michael Jackson fan. Were like, you? Absolute posters everywhere. Wow. You know, went to all his concerts. And I, ages ago, was part of the no that he would never do that. How yeah. interesting. Yeah. Good for you really... for saying it, because I'm interested in your perspective because, on that. And then when the documentary came up, my husband, who also works in television, was like, this director is brilliant. He's a really yeah. clever director. Responsible. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I just sort of, we watched um, on Good Morning Britain, and um, he, I think, um, he came across extremely well and knowledgeable, and I feared my my worst really because yeah. we went to start to watch and I was absolutely like it makes me feel upset now yeah because he was I agree he was more than I mean, some people like a god I suppose yeah. no he was god, he was otherworldly in so many yeah. ways I yeah to, I mean and you've had a relationship with him as a fan that yeah. is a great yeah. love of your life and yes yeah. he was I wanted to this sounds really strange now no. but I did want to hang out with him yeah, of course you did yeah. because he to was be all part. about the children yeah, right yeah. he was all about oh I'm I'm a child at heart I yeah. love these kids and I believed in yeah. his story about you know his childhood I'd never had a childhood I want to mm. be around fun I want to have mm. fun yeah and I believed it and of course but part, I think that's the whole true. world yeah. believed it I think that's true yeah. in that you know, the problem with sex abuse is that the overwhelming likelihood is that somebody who sexually abuses children has been abused themselves. Mm. But the point is, most people who are sexually abused as children don't then abuse themselves. Yeah. Mm. And so I and believe him fully. I don't think it's contested also, that his father was abusive, that mm. he lost a child. He was working. Most people yeah, horrible who are abused and, you know, work like that as children, they don't become millionaires. They're not surrounded by people who will cater to their every whim, people who will never say no to them. And I think that's why the response from mm. the estate it's like they are all, I think they're every bit as culpable that yeah, they had to take responsibility for the fact that yeah. this man was damaged and he was dangerous. Mm. I think what Nicola's saying is so interesting though, because if you, especially when you're younger, you are so um, touched and affected by the art you consume and the mm. culture you consume, it becomes so important to you. Yeah. I mean, it must feel like a loss. I could mm. relate to some of those boys who looked up at him because yeah. I was stage school I was dancing yeah. I have, still have the Michael Jackson dolls you know, yeah, from yeah, yeah. Thriller I remember what, when it came out and being just so overwhelmed and he was part of your life mm. it was huge so this is a massive trauma actually yeah because I so just couldn't believe um, I'm a mother and my, part of my anger was towards the parents um, as well because I have a 10 year old and she absolutely loves Ariana Grande, 
But if Ariana Grande said, hi, everyone, I'd like your daughter to come mm-hmm. and sleep over mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. my house after building up a relationship, mm-hmm. it would not happen. It would not happen. I know she's fabulous and she's my, my daughter really looks up at her and loves everything about her. But it wouldn't happen. But I know Michael Jackson was bigger than that. I, it I, was mm. the the manipulation of the parents mm. and the airtime that that documentary gave to that, and particularly as grown men, James and Wade's their uh, relationship with their their mother now. Is I thought was nothing. so interesting because he groomed those families. Yeah, he really did the manipulation with you know separating them, getting the buy in. Yeah, and see, then I, the separation. I, I'm with Nicola. I do not see the families as blameless. Oh and, yeah, absolutely. And I definitely feel they're culpable in some way. Mm. The really bad person in all of this, in my opinion, was Michael Jackson. Yeah, but some very, very poor, irresponsible, and reckless decisions were made mm. by Huge adults who, the only, better, the who only were thing, having houses yeah. bought for them, who were yeah. going mm-hmm. on tour, who were going on holidays. The only thing I wanted to see more of in that documentary is, let's be honest, I know he had all the bolts on the doors and this, that, the other. Michael Jackson was surrounded by so many people and yes. his management mm. and staff and everything. Where were I would they? Love to but the housekeeper did testify, yes, didn't she? Yes, she did. The housekeeper yeah. said that she did catch them, but she was, but he won anyway because what had happened in the original court case is that um, one of the children had described in graphic detail how Michael Jackson's erect penis looked and... Michael Jackson was examined and that was found to be accurate. And at that point, the Jackson defence team settled out of court. So they offered the Mm. witness a load of money to make it go away. And in that same trial, I believe, the housekeeper had said that she did, that she was aware of it. Yeah, she she saw them in the shower or something. Um, And so I think probably the, the only people who ever would have been privy to the suggestion of wrongdoing were probably incredibly unpowerful in the structure mm. of his yes, no, you're right. mm. hierarchy. You're right. And, and again, you know, as you say, I think that there are so many people in that chain who are culpable. I do wonder whether, when we look at it now, we're so aware of abuse and exploitation and how vulnerable children are. I wonder when that was going on. That just wasn't really a conversation that was happening mm. sort of so publicly. It seems so, doesn't it? You think about that age time. Hey, dare I say it, bringing up someone like Jimmy Savile. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, but it was about that And I time think very similar. Frame. Someone who was, you know, used their celebrity to, you know, it was able to happen because there were people who just kept saying yes. Mm. I think the thing about Jimmy Savile that's, that's very different from this case is that Jimmy Savile we know was illicit Mm. so he let himself in to hospitals, Mm. children's homes he snuck children away he he was illicit the bizarre thing about Michael Jackson is he hid in plain sight Mm. he talked all the time about having sleepovers with children Mm. he talked all the time about how his best friends were children, how they would come and hang out and he Mm. just loved them so much and he wanted to be with them and he thought himself a child there was such a strong narrative Mm. that would suggest nowadays and arguably even then that something was amiss and I suppose as a parent or just as a human being you don't need to have kids to work this out I would not let my child sleep 
in the same bed as an adult man who mm. they had met four hours before. I just cannot compute that no. with any level. So, of gr- I, no, I, I, I cannot. Mental. I cannot get there. I think it was a perfect sort of cocktail of him. He, the amount of families he must have. Because I was like, that's a huge amount of time to invest. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and all yeah. of these different families. I mean, hours on the phone with lots you know, of the plate mother, spinning, right? lots yeah. of plate spinning. Yeah. So he must have perfected this. And there's probably so many families who he had hit the right thing of, okay, this mother is quite vulnerable. Mm. Oh, maybe this marriage is on the rocks. Oh, maybe you're in need of money. Oh, you have a dance career. Oh, I can wield this power over you and kind of dangle it like a carrot. Oh, you want to be a a film director one day? You can absolutely do that. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to move you out here and we're going to do this. So right. It comes down to power, doesn't it? And Mm. abusers just really zeroing in on a person's vulnerability. And, you know, it's like... um, And what makes them feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And if they see someone who's strong and someone who's sort of enough and someone who's happy, they're not going to... To try, it wouldn't work. No it just wouldn't. Work. It wouldn't work. The mother would be like, "No, I'm not going to send my kid f- with you for a year." Crazy. And also, this is very strange. Now, mm-hmm. thank you and good night. You know, there, there, there were there were behaviours that were consistent in both cases, weren't there? There was a slightly yes. rocky marriage mm-hmm. at the heart of it. There was a mother who seemed cleverer than her path in life was it so she was she was a, mm-hmm. a stay at home mum at a time when that was normal but they were obviously all bright and wanted to see the world and wanted yeah, to they wanted experience showbiz yeah. and all of that stuff plus they were very far away mm-hmm. and they wanted to break into the arts something yeah. that he could legitimately help them with yeah and there was also lots of this i understand you i love you i think you're incredible i think you're a special child the yeah. marriage the, the yeah. marriage ceremony. So there was oh, one. God. So Oop. one of the children, I think it was James. James Safechuck revealed that yeah. as a child, he Michael Jackson had thrown them a pretend wedding where they had exchanged rings, and he, as a child, had made. I think I'm right in saying he was 11. He had had to make vows to Michael, and I think this was following the court case when he had testified for Michael, and so it was a kind of reward situation. And just the thought of an 11-year-old making vows and exchanging Mm. rings is deeply troubling. For me, I think overall, I I could only watch, like, half of Mm -hmm. the first. I found it really, you know, and then I realised, you know, I had a good chat with one of my best friends, and I, I was trying to defend him. I don't know why. And well, you loved him. Yeah. And then I think about everything else, you know, these poor guys, these poor children, and then his own children. Like, what must mm-hmm. his own kids, you know, if they I are mean, his kids? I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> the pain that they're in on a daily basis for all sorts of all reasons. reasons. Yeah. For so many reasons. And then this, this is just like, what? <laughs> Isn't it interesting that when we look at how people who've been... Um, exposed to abuse and the way they're portrayed in the media and this idea of mm. perfect victims and um i was thinking as well about the um that case in um uh it wasn't manchester was it um in, in the northwest a while back with those girls who were in, in care. rotherham yeah, in rotherham uh, thank you sorry i just escaped me then um and how those poor girls got lost in the system because they were imperfect victims and mm, sure. they were just even though they were so 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 young they were like well no that's just they're just behaving as they are and I think you know so often when someone is when an abuser is looking for someone 
it's interesting that that the imperfect victim and the perfect victim there's there's a real tally isn't there that someone who the more the easier it is to abuse someone the less believable they might be you're mm-hmm. right because everyone yes, was quick to true. say why are they why are they coming out now mm. it's for money clearly why didn't they talk earlier well no because they were effectively in love with him you know even when yes. he died mm. yes they didn't want to talk about it no. when he was alive and when he died they then sort of started grieving I should imagine and then actually come in not to their senses but mm. you know something a light bulb moment of going actually I need I need some help I or, actually think that's the most um enlightening and useful thing that's come out of this documentary for lots of people I think I hope is how conflicted a victim mm-hmm. can feel. Neither of those men wished him dead. Both no. of them are sad that he's dead. Both of them, on some level, love him. Both of them, on some level, feel guilty for doing this to him mm-hmm. um, retrospectively. And yet, in many ways, he ruined their lives. In many ways, mm-hmm. he caused the death of one of their fathers. In many God, ways, he yeah. caused divorces. You know, all of these awful, destructive things that he arguably did to them, they still feel a loyalty. And that is the phenomenon of abuse. Mm, Absolutely. I think it was one of the most powerful things. I think I wrote it down. What Wade Robson said is, I I want to speak the truth as loud as I had to tell the lie for so long. Uh And the all-consuming nature of burying a secret like that, it just, it broke broke my heart Mm. to just watch them talk about it. Because actually the filming process of that was grueling. They had to sit and tell their stories, some of their most private stories, chronologically across two to three days i think it was and that's not easy wade, wade would do that? kept Ugh. saying the sexual stuff didn't he mm. whenever he yeah. spoke about it he would say the sexual stuff and it sounded like a child talking and that mm. was obviously the language he had adopted that allowed him to say mm-hmm. things mm. that was the most he could say oh uh, and when the sexual stuff happened and that's mm-hmm. obviously mm. the thing that he's found some kind of comfort level in saying yeah but it was very revealing because it's the kind of thing one of my kids would say that's the sort of language one of my kids would use yeah i think that was it was james who said we're all still just children but our bodies have got older because they get kind of stunted in certain aspects of, from when the abuse happened. yes it's an arrested development isn't yeah. it yeah. there's you know forever never more. leave yeah. yeah yeah i want to talk when we come back i want to talk sorry to carry on with this but it's such a fascinating no, story is. i want to talk about whether whether we can now what we do now in terms of our relationship with michael jackson as an icon Uh, But we're continuing with our playlist about women and sisterhood, um, according to Daisy Buchanan's book. So let's have, I don't know, should we have a bit of Moni Love? Moni Love and It's a Shame still here Sally Hughes and Kate Sevier with Nicola Lewis aka This Girl Can Organise and Daisy Buchanan aka Not Roller Girl actually on Twitter everyone's got a different name these days um Unfortunately, we're continuing with the uh, sad tale of Michael Jackson. We will get to the light stuff in due course, <laughs> I promise. Um, but I just wanted to touch on the fact that um, so to, since the revelations in this documentary, obviously there had been suspicions and accusations for many years, for decades even, 
But since this documentary has aired, various um, editorial decisions have been made across the board. So The Simpsons is pulling the episode starring Michael Jackson. It's pulling it from its archives and that won't air anymore. Um, mm. Commercial and public radio stations are saying they won't play his records anymore. Obviously, we've seen that with Gary Glitter too. Um, less of a cultural loss, I would argue. As a who? Nonetheless. Gary Glitter has been removed from playlists and so on at several radio stations. And I I wanted to know how you guys felt about that because I don't think it's a simple one by no, any no. means. No. Nicola, you were a fan. How do you feel about it? Well, <clears throat> I guess the music is why we all fell in love with him, really. Um, that's... There's no denying it. The music's amazing. I mean, yeah. just play mm. off the wall, which is one of my favourite albums. Mm. And that is just, I don't know, incredible. Um... I guess it's one of those bittersweets where I think for anyone playing that music now, it's just going to bring back and think, wow, what, you know, what was this guy up to? And I don't know if I get it. Um, It's a real mixture for me. I'm still a, I still love his music. Do you think you'll still be listening to his music and you'll be able to enjoy it? Yeah. Yeah, see, I, I feel the same. Yeah, I think because there's songs that I have memories associated with. Yeah. Mm. It's about with. you, it's not about so him. It's yeah. it's about me and that time, or me somewhere, and that music represented my own memory. So which music, that's what it's about, This right? is essentially how I feel. I mean, I, I wasn't a mega fan, but Off the Wall is one of my favourite albums too. So many great records, Human Nature, I mean, the, the list mm. goes on, I, I think... Up until Thriller, really, that's where I kind of fell off uh, off board with it. But the thing about music for me is that it doesn't just belong to the artist, it also belongs to the yeah. listener. Yeah, It's well, not there. They don't own it. I own it. I own my memories, as you say. I own the experiences that those tunes have accompanied me on. You know, I sort yeah. of feel that I have a relationship with that music that has nothing to do with him. Mm. Or what he did, and with the musicians he played on that music, whether it's Quincy Jones mm. or you know a session drummer or whatever it is, mm. it was a collective endeavour that becomes something else when I start listening to it. I reshape it almost. I do think that our relationship with all that is so intimate and personal um, that I think it, there's a real difference between enjoying it in your own home and say going into a shop and they're playing a Michael Jackson record. I think exactly. you're right. I yeah. think you're right. And I think what we need to do is say, you know, there's perhaps nothing wrong with recognising the fact that it's a very personal relationship. As you say, we've got different memories and different associations, but to be kind and sympathetic and empathetic about anyone who has been abused or there is someone in their life where they will not feel good about hearing that music, mm. certainly for the next few years, and to just keep it out of public spaces, I think that would be a, a kind thing to do. Yeah, I, I absolutely w- I would entirely agree with that. When, yeah. you, when you watch BBC Three and you see the vintage Top of the Pops, for mm. example, they've removed Jimmy Savile from those Top of the Pops. Yeah. And I was talking to my brother-in-law about this and he was saying... You know, it's ridiculous. You can't erase what happened. You can't erase culture. You can't erase those things. It's like, but is your need for nostalgia really more important than the risk of a grown Mm. woman turning on the telly and seeing the public broadcaster use somebody who abused you for entertainment value? Mm -hmm. Is is your need for nostalgia really that Mm. important Mm. that you're 
you'd rather someone was potentially hurt, yeah. triggered, all the things that you describe. Yeah. I think the well, private never. thing is yeah. right. Because we can go anywhere. We, we, it's never been easier to have the culture we love in our own homes. You know, when that Top of the Pops was first filmed, you know, that was your lot. That could be the only chance you got to hear a certain record that week unless you caught it on the radio or you went to a shop and you bought it. So I do think that that's what, you know, your right to hear things is not being alienated or nothing's being held back from you. There's a personal nostalgia and there's a public nostalgia. Mm. And I think that is absolutely fine to want to listen to, you know, thriller in your bedroom if that's what you want to do that's what you feel like listening to because i mean it's like a scientific fact that you get like a dopamine hit Mm. when you listen to the music of your you know teenage years or if you were like obsessed with a band for me it would be hansen if mbop came on i would get a rush of dopamines and if something (laughs) came out does anyone not right exactly it you know you know globally loved um so so if you know god forbid something comes out with hansen and then i can't i don't want to be told i can't listen Listen to their music anymore. I feel like you're safe there, but we're never going <laughs> to never. Maybe no some anymore. library fines, but I think that might be as far <laughs> as it goes. Know. Hansen and their oh God, criminal behaviour. Yeah. But I think it's a, there's a big difference between you know listening to it on Spotify and having it crucially available on Spotify, and versus walking in a superdrug and having it played or have it be the theme song to for a new TV show. Those are very very different things. Well, I mean, I'd, probably not right to compare them, but I keep um, getting on my Spotify, an old gym playlist I made, um, R. Kelly, Ignition, mm. which is... Which is a banger. I'm a sorry, song it's a, a banger. Song. It Everybody is. knows all the words to as well, mm-hmm. because the words are ridiculous. And um, <laughs> I know, like, the first few. And then I go... Like, <laughs> I've had too much spare time on my hands. Um, but again, and I, it's, I suppose what's really difficult as well, and I wonder if this is what your brother-in-law was getting at, is we don't really have to go very far to find quite a lot of examples mm-hmm. in the art we mm-hmm. love and the people who make it mm-hmm. and think well no as a human being you were you're indefensible and mm-hmm. i suppose it's really difficult isn't it to grade abuse and obviously what the allegations yes. made mm-hmm. against michael jackson is sort of incontrovertibly dreadful and, and awful extreme yeah. extreme and you know so before christmas i was writing about bing crosby writer of many beloved favourites that everybody adores. And he, his son, wrote a memoir um, alleging that Bing really abused him quite horribly and quite violently in a way that I believe some people might say, oh, well, you know, it was the 50s or whatever, but still really, really difficult to defend. And I suppose, I think we just really have to do it on a case-by-case basis. But again, Sally, as you said, it's not about, you know, a person's right to nostalgia can never be greater than another person's right to not be reminded of something that's sad and painful for them. It is a sliding scale, isn't it? You're talking about Bing Crosby and, you know, Phil Spector. Mm. Phil Spector was abusive to his children, abusive to his wife, and yet are we going to stop listening to girl groups, Wall of Sound, and all that amazing music that he created? Oh, oh yeah, I forgot that he's an actual murderer. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, so I forgot the murder. Point. I knew there was something else he did that was yeah. bad. Yeah. Was on the tip of my tongue and he shot someone in the head. But he's that played also. at Christmas Day. But all he's played December. on Christmas Day because yeah. that's part and of we your Christmas. That. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. That whatever the scale is from, you know, being quite rude to waiters, I don't know, to, you know, murder, um, what would we have left? Yeah. If we, if, 
and I, I never like to be like, oh, this cancel culture. But seriously, if you were to just, oh, well, we can't have that on iTunes anymore, and that film's not allowed, and we're not going to watch it. What culture would we have left? Because everyone's horrible on some scale. And I think if we're looking at, you know, rape, sexual assault, abuse, harassment, uh, I mean, it gets murky, but in a way it doesn't get murky. It's like, okay, well, that person's awful, so maybe we're not going to promote this film or we're not going to give him an Academy Award, for an example. There's things that you can do that are not canceling or deleting or erasure and also not heralding and pretending like it doesn't happen. Yeah, I think mm. so. I, I think we're pretty much all in agreement that it's yeah. about individual choice versus public responsibility, I yes. guess. Yeah. Public broadcasters do have to look out for everybody and not endorse people who have caused grave harm but if you want to listen to off the wall mm. you should be able to knock yourself out and not have him not have michael jackson rob you of music mm. that matters That's to you right. yeah yeah so when we come back i'm going to put another record on when we come back we're going to lighten it up <laughs> <laughs> i promise <laughs> let's have some queen latifah UNITY, Queen Latifah, I haven't heard that in ages. I bloody love that record. Um, we are back and we are with Daisy Buchanan, whose book The Sisterhood was out last Thursday. It's available everywhere, as is Mind Over Clutter by Nicola Lewis, a.k.a. This Girl Can Organise. Still here with co-host Kate Sevier, ofs. <laughs> uh, Nicola, you are a professional organiser. I just think we need to take a step back and you need to talk us through what the hell is that. Tell us Do you know everything. What? Two years ago, someone said to you that, that you're going to be a professional organiser on a radio station doing this, that, the other with a book. I would have laughed like uncontrollably. I just thought, <laughs> oh, just shush. Um, so, yeah, I guess I am. That's How did me. it start? Have so, you always been a super organised oh, yeah. person? So it's, it's down to my mum, really. It's all my mum's fault. Um, and my grandma. Um, yeah, I guess I have. I've worked two decades in investment banking, um, which surprises a lot of people um, because I felt this like explains my... why you chose to tidy up over doing your Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I, I would do anything. But I banking. guess the, that's the hence of the, the colour and the rainbow that just exploded out of that greyness um, because I dreaded every Sunday night you know, because of mm, the Monday morning. That's the worst feeling. Um, and I was in a situation where I was good at my job, but I didn't enjoy it. But then I was stuck with amazing salary, benefits, all of those things. Um, and I, when I had my second daughter, um, I just got to a point where I, I couldn't do it no more. I knew it wasn't healthy for me um, and kind of left shock everyone really and went and got a job um in private aviation which was really random but i guess this was where the start so of this me is was people coming. hiring private jets that's it right yeah. um it's working for harrods actually mm -hmm. um this is so fascinating <laughs> and i got given training a walkie-talkie radio and was airside with all these amazing mm -hmm. jets um 
red carpet, seeing celebrities, heads of state, royalty, high net worth individuals going in their planes and like, oh, um, and quickly adapted that my, my, I guess the whole interpretation of that world was, I, I, I saw it, I didn't envy it. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. what I noticed more was that the people were just like me. Mm -hmm. They were tired when they were traveling. They wanted to have a chat. Um, you know, it, it was really lovely. Um, and then I went back into the city because I got that carrot dangled, didn't I, in terms of the money and just what I'd known. And it was a thing to do, I suppose, for me. That's all I'd known until I got made redundant. And then I was on garden leave and my husband said, it's time for you to do something. You know, you can't go back into it. You're not happy. And... I, yeah, I can't thank him enough, really, for saying that. But, but I mean, that's quite a mental leap. How do you then think, I know, I'm going <laughs> to organise? Yeah, you know, so you're right. So I spent, I had garden leaves. So I had three months of figuring out what am I good at? Literally, I had a pad and I wrote down, what am I good at? In a positive way, you know, it wasn't like, oh, poor me. Um, and we just went through loads of things, loads of random. I've got to find that notepad. I really have. But, yeah, so it, it was just kind of evolving, really. And then we were Googling and this and the other. And then we came up about organising. And then there was a company that came up in America called The Home Edit. And that blew my mind because we both looked at it, looked at each other and went, oh, this is what you do. I was like, shit, I did not know this was a business. And so did you start with private clients so you would kind of parachute into somebody's disorganised yeah, life? Yeah, so what I did, I started off with a website, really old school, getting flyers, you know, thinking yeah. I could just get it out there. And I did hit a lot of brick walls. You know, my first year um, was very challenging, but I was working every minute of the day to get it out there, to prove a point that it was good. It is a good idea. Um, Did you enjoy it? I loved it. Good. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing, isn't From it? From that moment of finding that this was something I loved, I haven't looked back. From that moment, the of greatest saying, moment in life, should it come to you, is always realizing you can be paid for the yeah. thing you love the most. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. That's the most you can That's ever it. ask. And yeah. I, I didn't, I did not expect it to be as popular as it is now. I thought it was just going to be a local. You know, me just helping out people in my area or maybe going into East North London um, and helping out people getting organised if they're so busy. So tell me, tell me what it looks like. So let's say Kate emails you <laughs> yes, and, says, <laughs> <laughs> and says, so Kate, what would you say? What would your request be? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, Hi. Um, so come see my house. Look at the mess and just the... It's not, like, messy, but there's just, like, shit everywhere. And, okay. like, a shelf that I've had for, like, 18 months that we've not built yet. I don't know. So I, I probably would want someone, in theory, to come around and just be like, what the fuck yeah. do yeah. I do yeah. with all the of this The first thing stuff? I would do would be to congratulate Kate for calling me because actually asking for help is a really big thing. Thank you. And <laughs> as British people, we don't ask for help. We don't like asking for help. You know, we throw out the, 
if you need any help, just let me know. But how many people come Never. back to you on that? No. And so Never. where do you start? She's she's so I would she's making that she's making cheese. She's made <laughs> she's made she's made that positive decision to reach out. So you get there, and her house is like a bin fire of stuff, right? Let's well, we assume. would have prepped over the phone. We would have talked. She would have sent me photos of the space. Of the bin fire. Yeah. And I would have said, right, this is fine. This is achievable. This is going to take so many days or day. Um, and kind of plan um, uh, kind of a structure of what we're going to do for her and then arrive with the organisation. But the first step would obviously be going through the decluttering process with her. So let's say, for example, your bedroom, we'd Mm. go through that area and section by section go through the items of saying, you know, do you use this? Do you enjoy this? Do you wear it? Why have you got it? Sentimental, sale items that you're looking to lose weight. Um, you bought something to lose weight in. It's this been is in a your classic thing wardrobe for five do. years. Yeah. You're not probably going to go into that dress. If you wanted yeah. to be in that dress, that dress would be out and it would be a goal and you would aim for that. So it's it's about, I think, the massive thing is about wasting money. That's what people mm. don't like to get rid of things mm. for because, you know, it costs a lot of money. But for just sitting you in let a drawer, that money, though, it's like it's well, you let that money go, it's mm-hmm. gone. Yeah, you've paid for you've it. It's gone. For it. You mentioned the um, garments that don't fit, yeah. and that's a really common thing. What are the other pitfalls that that, that commonly people fall into? Okay, leading so, to gross disorganisation. Well, I guess it's when we go out shopping. It's emotional shopping. Um, mm. Three for twos, mm. offers, sales. Um, I've noticed a link cleverly with us having a loss of either identity or if we've lost a person we tend to go and over accumulate on something Mm. um so i've noticed that with people hoarding certain items or collecting certain items from their past um because it brings them happiness um but it's then cluttering their space. It's also short-term happiness, isn't it, if you're trying to ameliorate something with a purchase. Yeah, (laughs) and that's hence the name of the book, you know, Mind Over Clutter, because I believe that, you know, for example, if I walk into my front door and that front area is messy, then pretty much the rest of the house is going to be messy too, right? Mm. So once that's tidy I have clarity up there to then think right what what am I meant to be doing now you know oh yeah that's it sit down and sober with a glass of wine or oh I've got this job 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 and then I can proceed um and then have fun at whatever stage and are you literally marigolds on sleeves up let's go what at the client yeah yeah of course yeah I won't have marigolds on no um (laughs) that I just kind of get stuck in and I really my work ethic is strong and sometimes I get commented by the clients going, you're like a workhorse, you need to have a break. But I guess <laughs> Would you stop? for me, yeah, you're, you're, you're tiring me out. But I'm, I get in a zone where I can see what the end is, the end yeah. result, and I want to make the client happy. So I you're want physically in there doing it because like on Marie Kondo's show, she's like, and now? do this and I shall return well that's what really (laughs) let me down with the show I mean I know it's for TV right but I if I was to leave anyone I mean I've had 102 clients now if I was to leave any one of those clients 
at the point of extraction. So we've pulled everything out of whatever area in their house and say, I'll see you tomorrow. I've showed you what to mm. do. They would have a complete breakdown. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's a very <laughs> painful thing, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't know go. if that was the part of the show to get that reaction. I, I guess a little bit, but it really angered me. I only watched the first episode yeah. of that because I just thought, no, I would never have done that. And yeah. I don't think that's... Fair. I wanted to ask you, I'm trying to have a bit of a declutter at the moment and it's mostly clothes. And again, mm. I really, really related with what you said and it doesn't make any sense because, as you say, you've spent money on something. That money doesn't exist anymore. No. But even selling it on eBay for a tenner, when I think about what I paid <laughs> yeah. for, it still just feels it's like... It's your time. How do yeah. I... Because I, I felt just absolutely kind of... It's like those emotions are an explosion and I'm reeling back from it like mm. Arnie in End of Days. <laughs> How can I sit with those emotions and make sense of them? It is a difficult one. It really is. But you kind of bought... Say, for example, you bought a dress and it reminds you of a brilliant holiday with your girlfriends, but you don't fit into it no more. I mean, I've still got two dresses from when I was 18, when I went on a girl's holiday. Those dresses, if they could talk... <laughs> and I haven't saved them for my daughters. I didn't know I was having daughters. Was but... like, are you saving them for blackmail? Or yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. Potentially. But you know, every time they're in a box. Yeah, but they're in a box and they're up in the loft. And do you know what? Along with my brossette trousers from um, American amazing. Classics. Oh, amazing. Yeah. But I look at them and that's part of my history. Of course. Yeah. So for me, it makes me happy looking mm. at those but it's interesting isn't it because you're just naming a couple of things and I have a couple of things like that and you mm. can name them mm. but that's important mm. but if you keep everything you value nothing right yeah. so yeah. so if if you're hoarding tons and tons and tons of clothes and you're still keeping the frock that you all once then went off from Bowdoin or whatever that, yeah. that that doesn't have emotional resonance I think it's quite um if you know your style with clothing and you know what suits you, I think it makes things a lot easier. Like for me, a capsule wardrobe is just mm. perfect, you know, because I've got, I know my looks. I know I can easily walk into Monkey and go, because oh, it's just me, everything in there. But I might have similar things in my wardrobe. And mm. am I going to wear it as much? Do I? I'm not in that culture where I wear it once and, dread the thought of someone seeing me in it again yes. I don't care no, I will I don't wear care it either. see I think my biggest problem is internet shopping and being at home and it's not I very rarely buy things in shops um, I'm actually I'm on a shopping ban this year it's not new year so I'm only I can buy things on eBay that are second hand or from charity shops of right. course. Lovely. Brilliant. Um, but it is it's that thing isn't it where I'm sort of I think it's about insecurity and uncertainty and a loss of identity where I've seen a picture of someone looking amazing on the internet and I've thought, I want to be that girl. And they're mm, hanging up. I think up that's a huge part of it. Yeah. That's a huge part. They're all reminders of my failures Fashion, to be it? that girl and how I've got the thing home. I always think of that Simpsons episode where Homer is holding the barbecue box and it's like, that's a fine looking barbecue. And then it pans out and it's like, why doesn't mine look like that? And you yeah. see this mess <laughs> behind him of concrete. Yeah. I well, think this is it, huge. and I think everyone does compare themselves, but it's so important to know who you are and know what suits you. And I kind of say that to my clients, yeah. you know, this is amazing, I love this. And they're like, oh, do you like it? And I'm like, yeah, this is cool. And then they're like, I don't know why I'm keeping this. I actually don't know why I'm keeping it. Let's go. And because I'm neutral and I'm not part of their world, I feel like they can let it go a lot easier. Um, they can talk things out with me. So... They then feel pleased that they've removed all the stuff from that area, but they've also learned 
that they don't want to... It's so freeing. Yeah. That thing that Daisy's talking about, I just think it's such, it's such a massive thing in that you very often, especially when you're younger, I think I, I don't do it anymore, but there was definitely a period in my life where I would shop for the woman I wanted to be, not for the mm-hmm. woman I was. Whereas now there's something so freeing about saying, say... A, a woman my age in like spaghetti strap vest. Well, I I will be buried in a bra. There's just no way. <laughs> there's, there's no way I'm ever being braless. I need wires yeah, at all times. Need, yeah. you know, I've held got in. big knockers. They need to stay Same upright. Girl. So I hear you. And so I see those girls in the little spaghetti strap thing, and then the long floaty skirt, and all the yes. bangles up her arm, and the suntan and everything. And I I'm able now to go. She looks brilliant. She looks so great. How lovely for her that she looks great. I'm a different woman. I'm yeah. not mm-hmm. that woman. And that's an incredibly Amazing. freeing... Yeah. It, wouldn't it... it be great if, I guess, so from... I, this is what I kind of empower with both my girls all the time. I keep saying, you are individual. Wear what makes you happy. Be confident in who you are. And that needs to come from that kind of age, from when they're little... And telling them to be... I think it was Amy Poehler who said, good for her, not for me. Exactly. And sometimes that's, that's really everything. in my heart. Oh, my goodness me. Yeah. I mean, that's perfectly it, isn't it? When you can appreciate that somebody looks fabulous or has a fabulous life that wouldn't work for you mm. and mm-hmm. that something else would work for you, that's such a great way of but not I guess, making those silly purchases. I agree. But I guess for This Girl Can Organise, I kind of don't know how. I've, I'm not a therapist, but... I kind of play a therapist role. You must do. It absolutely yeah. is. In my job. Yeah. People and must I get want emotional. people, they get very emotional, but I want them to feel good. I want mm. them to feel like this is a huge achievement, what they're doing. Look at the lovely things around them. Do you yeah. need all this stuff? What do you want? Mm. And do you know what? I work, I don't want everyone to live in a minimal home or a minimal lifestyle you know, and thank absolutely everything before they let it go. Um, <laughs> but, but why? <laughs> I mean, if nothing else, that doesn't sound minimal. That sounds like quite a time-consuming yeah, yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I'd spend forever doing that yeah. to all my And you my might items. hate that thing. Thanking also, every so. sock yeah. as you call yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, like, for me, you know, I know everything in my wardrobe at the moment, I check it every quarter just to see, like, actually, am I wearing that? And I haven't got the biggest of wardrobes, so I store my seasonal stuff up in the loft. So Same. soon, summer and spring will be coming down and I'll be overjoyed. Um, and winter and autumn will go back upstairs. I'll keep a few jumpers, but I'm quite... See, I'm the one weeping for the winter clothes as they go up. Yeah, I can't really really do let what them you go. do. I'm yeah. so sad to let them go every year. <laughs> yeah, and it's just lovely. I love it. I, I feel like I have new clothes again. I look forward to seeing what I've got. And I think if people did that a bit more, they wouldn't be overbuying mm. all the swimsuits, kids' clothes. Every house I've been to with the children's clothes is always overrun because they go, oh, look at that, that's amazing, we'll buy that whole set because kids' stuff is brilliant, right? But so. also, when you have ch- children, you realise that they just like wearing their favourite T-shirt yeah. over and over and, again, over again. and a pair of shorts that you hate. My but son's got a Yas Queen T-shirt, and if it's not in his back, it's in the washing machine. Yeah. And then it's right back on him. He loves it. Kids really could do with capsule wardrobes. You know, they only need a staple of a few things. Well, they grow out of everything. They grow like, out of everything. Yeah. They want to play. Yeah. But, you know, again, that's been another thing that's just boomed, really, if you and think I, about it. I guess it. if you want to shop and you've got kids, and it's, again, fulfilling that you're kind of shopping for you vicariously sometimes, maybe. Of yes. course. Yeah, 100%. Um you know, I think that's the, the rise of Bowdoin and Jules. Yeah. yeah. 
because of the mums kind of going, oh, this is bright, colourful, lovely. This is what I want my child to look like. Yeah, so rather my than kids think it's really babyish. They wouldn't go near it. <laughs> you know, they want to wear horrible sports logos. And well, my youngest <laughs> is all for you know black, grey. Yeah, she loves you know mixing things up, um, DMs. Even from a little girl, that was what she picked out, mm. and we learnt to let her buy that because then she's going to wear it. Apart from the overbuying thing, is there an issue with broken things? Because I know people who keep hold of broken things mm. on the delusion that one day they will mend them mm -hmm. and they will use them. And these broken things stack up. And I always think it's just so depressing because mm. it's like saying, one day my life will work. One day mm. things will oh, So that's a yeah. sentimental item. And that's generally mugs. So there's quite a few of... Blimey. <laughs> it is. So when I go into people's kitchens, so for example, you know, there's a family of four and they might have 30-odd mugs, maybe 40. We tend to store and hoard mugs. And it's yeah, the strangest I, I the yeah. thing ever. Smashed mugs. Even no. one... Yeah, mugs Chips. without oh, no, chipped or without know. a handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without the handle? Because the mugs come from university, you see. Right. And they've had it for 20-odd mm. years. I right. have some sentimental mugs, but not if it's missing a handle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's so no I, that's a mug, I would have. <laughs> no, but it's, it's a sentimental a item. So, again, that traips back to why are we keeping yeah. this? Oh, that's... The simple answer was, this is from my university. I was like, okay. And then I explained to them that is porcelain mug with just a logo and yeah, you have you got other one. memories of uni and we then talk 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 and I'm like if you want to keep it because it really makes you happy that particular plant some herbs in it or grow whatever you like in it and Repurpose just and put it, it so out somewhere do but don't keep it in your cupboard because you're not going to use that one because it hasn't got a handle you know so <laughs> literally does not have a handle it's a so, tumbler let it go but then there's mugs that people like to give out when they've got friends over there's mugs that they will give to the workmen there's mugs that they'll have at easter and christmas you know there's certain mugs no and it's no it's i am very anti this i hate save best for last yeah i, 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 hate, I it. Completely, <laughs> hate it completely hate it completely want to the change the whole now, thank you thank you I kept a handleless mug for a while, got it on honeymoon, it's went to Hawaii, it's a Kona coffee one, and we did sort of keep it with the idea that we'd fix it. And then finally we moved and we thought, let's be real about this. We know we went on honeymoon. We had a lovely time. You've we will never build that trip. There. We don't need the mug. <laughs> well but it done. took a house move to make, to, to force that. us into that. If we if we still lived in our old flat, we'd still have that mug. Yeah. I think the title of your book is Mind Over Clutter, right? I yeah. think that just says everything because... Mm. As you were saying, I'm not a therapist, but I basically am because yeah, the clutter is all stemmed in sentiment, maybe fe tending to feel maybe a bit out of control. Yeah. Uh, as you said, sometimes if people have experienced like a bereavement or, you know, gone through some grief or something, then they kind of, mm. okay, I'm going to buy a whole bunch of this stuff now. It really is sort of a, a reflection. And I think that that's where the shame comes in and why we don't ask for help because if you were to come I mean just putting it all out there if you were to come to my house right now you would probably be a bit surprised and be like oh I would have expected you to have like no. an Instagram house or something yeah no see but I don't and this is yeah, the whole I perception don't. everyone gets embarrassed yeah you know it, when really, it feels very exposing around, yeah 
Uh, the friends are coming around. Quick, tidy, throw everything in the drawers. <gasps> Welcome. <laughs> or in that one room, like you have, everyone like, has like the crap oh, room where you like, just put everything. If I was everything. to walk around someone's house and see shit lying around, I'd think, thank God. Right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're living their life. But I don't life want, is crazy yeah. and busy. They are real. And so you're not a neat freak then. No. You're an organisational freak. Yeah. And, there, and there is a difference, yeah, right? Yeah, there is. I mean, listen, there's parts of my house at the moment because life has been pretty crazy the last three mm-hmm. months that my husband's been helping and, you know, I salute him. But, you know, he's been helping. And so there's various parts of the house that I go... but I can't say anything because he's done an absolutely sterling job supporting us and the kids whilst working whilst writing a book whilst doing a job and so your book Mind Over Clutter which is out tomorrow correct Um, by Nicola Lewis her real name is not this girl can organise (laughs) it's this girl that can (laughs) organise what what can people expect which it must be very hard when you're not physically there to reorganise someone's life what are the key points that people at home need to adopt from you I guess this book is going to be fab for someone that just doesn't know where to start and wants to do and wants to get organised and they can put it down pick it up as and when it's not like I need to sit and read this page for page they can put it down and then they go I wonder what she thinks about bathrooms or I wonder what she'd do with kitchens and there's like easy steps of how to kind of go through my process um about the keep donate and um and then bin sorry I was going to say trash but bin um and then you know handy tips for them to go away with and just think oh, that's really helpful. Um, And then obviously there's eco-cleaning in there, which is something I champion. Um, A donation section, which something I started right from the get-go was I was shocked that my first client put everything in a bag and she said, well, I'll just take this to the charity shop. And I was like, there's some really nice stuff in here. I know she hasn't got time to eBay, which you have to work that out in your time management. Yeah. You know, if you've got no time at the moment, then don't think you're going to have time for eBay. Because (laughs) that is some, I know you probably potentially want that money back, but you've got to invest hours in doing that to get that money Mm. back. And is it worth it? I have friends who do car boot sales and they love it. They get rid of a car boot sale. I I forgot about those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did one last year. I didn't get much money for it, but I took my kids, got them involved. Yes. And it was, they loved it. I mean, they did want to go around and buy more shit, but I was like, (laughs) (laughs) no. This isn't the point. It must be really satisfying as well that you get to see your stuff going to a good home. I agree. That is the whole point of donation. So that's what I wanted to educate my clients and the following about, think about if you're cleaning out your linen cupboard and you've got tons of old towels, don't throw them in the bin and put them Mm. on landfill. They could go to an animal rescue centre and that's going to benefit those animals. The dogs, they're crying out. People don't realise that there's so many, you know, local businesses in your community that need things. Yeah. Like libraries need books. Yeah. You know, schools need books. Nurseries and um, hospital kids' wards need toys. Their funding is, like, practically zero. So if you could go through with your kid and clean out their playroom and take the plastic toys to a kid's, you know, hospital ward, the nurses are going to be, like, saluting you and thanking you so much for that. And you will feel fantastic. And your child will feel 
will we'll have learnt something, a life skill. Yeah, we've help. seen we've seen such a huge explosion in this decluttering, organisational thing. Life is an edit. You know, let's mm. let's get things straight. Obviously, with Marie Kondo, but also, <clears throat> you know, the the life edit books and all of that kind of stuff. Why do we think in 2019 this is now so hot? Surely, we're not less organised than before, are we? Oh God. I don't know. My gut feeling with everything is always just Instagram. <laughs> I feel like people are like, what? I only have one corner in my house that I can take a picture of my dog in. So maybe I need to sort everything out. I don't know. But hopefully it's not that. And hopefully it's that we're just becoming more aware of our kind of basic psychology and the fact that, okay, well, if your house is a tip, maybe you feel like a tip. Now, I'm not a licensed practitioner of psychotherapy, but, you know, that might be <laughs> the case. That's what mine tells me anyway, is that if, you, if you're feeling unorganized, then that is reflected in your, in your surroundings. Daisy, have you caught the bug? Well, I do wonder whether we are just at maximum capacity for stuff. And I wonder, I mean, this is, I have no anthropological training this is just a guess but i, I love all these disclaimers we're yeah, not experts, experts. Yeah. Not it's experts. okay guys Fan i don't experts. think anybody thinks that you're that is fine i suspect that humans are maybe built to hoard we're all frightened about scarcity that's i think that's why i've got such a big bottom because i'm hoarding that bat <laughs> for the winter months and so <laughs> and i think that we're doing this We've been doing it for so long, really holding on to things and amassing as many things as we can because we think it's going to make us feel better. And we're just realising we don't. And I think, I mean, I, I do, I'm seriously worried that it's too late, but I think we are all waking up suddenly and dramatically to the environmental chaos we've caused. And mm. we urgently need to to have less. You know, we have to, there's a real human and environmental cost to the fact that we're all mm. consumers. And I do think that we... Everyone is really rushing to take personal responsibility, and I think that's a brilliant, wonderful thing. But I would really like to see more big businesses, more of the people who make so much money who by stealing this stuff, Amen. to actually come back and know, you know, say, look, we've been telling you to buy this stuff for decades, you know, really, since the <laughs> Second World War. We need to pull back, and it's on us as much as you. Oh, my gosh, yes. That was a much more uh, intelligent answer than yeah. Instagram. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I think you're absolutely I, right. I think we yeah. had it between, it is always Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're it? not experts, but we kind but of got there. But then as well, I do think we've got to remember that having less stuff and, and giving things away. I am really, 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 really privileged that I can have a, a not new year where I've just had a disposable income and I've been able to buy clothes I don't need and having too much stuff it's a very western problem and I think that the, there's a something really positive about the fact that this movement is becoming really fashionable and brilliant but I do think that we absolutely have to acknowledge as well there are lots of people who don't have much at all and this give everything away spark joy it's quite a sort of a luxe aesthetic i think the notion that everything's disposable you yeah. know yeah. just get rid of it and, and sometimes that like. might be yeah. why you hold on to stuff is if you yes. didn't have a lot growing up and then you suddenly do absolutely then you're gonna hold on to mm. that stuff i know i do that those things run deep i always have 
at least 30 toilet rolls in the house because when I was growing up, there was the essentials were never around and so I become quite anxious and mm. nervous if there yeah. isn't toilet roll in the house. Yeah. Yeah. There's always too much food in my cupboards. I've always got about six bags of pasta in the cupboard because when I was growing up, we frequently didn't have food in the house. Mm. Or utilities would be cut off and that stuff runs really deep mm-hmm. and you can become quite anxious so it's trying to balance that sense of childhood deprivation mm. in your with, home yeah with yeah. what it i mean what i can afford toilet you. paper whenever i like it's not an issue <laughs> yeah. i can afford loo roll and you know what but i, I was, can't shake it off i, I was in a beautiful yeah. home a couple of weeks ago and there was so much space there it was ridiculous it was lovely um and in those circumstances if you've got the space and you're going to use it then great you can store things like 30, 40s toilet rolls, and no one's going to know. They're not going to see it. But most new homes that are being built now, and the homes that I go into, which are just, you know, like my own, um, don't have tons of space. They don't Mm. have Mm. under-the-stairs cupboards no more Mm. because they're a toilet now. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, So people don't have anything, anywhere to put their stuff that they're being (laughs) advertised to buy Mm. on Billboards, TV, shopping channels, Instagram, and so forth. You know, something's got to go. We're told to consume, 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 and then where the hell do we put it? There's no space. Well, before we go into the next record, both Daisy and Nicola have just prompted me to remind you that if you have any unused toiletries whatsoever, please give them to us at Beauty Banks. So um, let's put a record on. When we come back, we're going to talk about jeans. Seeing as Daisy's just talked about her fat ass, I'm sure we can all do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about that when we come back. Here's some TLC. What About Your Friends by the brilliant TLC, played in honour of Daisy Buchanan, who is with us today to talk about her book, The Sisterhood, which is all about exactly that. We're going to talk to her shortly about that book and what inspired her and the woman, the women who built her. That's fair, isn't it, to say? And it's absolutely true. So we're going to talk about that in a sec. I'm still here, obviously, with Kate Severe, my co-host, but also with Nicola Lewis, a.k.a. This Girl Can Organise, whose book, Mind Over Clutter, is out tomorrow. She's just been talking in the last part about her life in organising. I think we all now want to hire her. Let us talk about jeans. So Daisy was talking about the size of her ass in the last segment. I think, <laughs> I think uh, it's fair to say we've all had that gripe and we've all had a gripe about dress sizes. I could go on all day about this, but a really brilliant teenager on Twitter has illustrated it perfectly. So Chloe, her name is, from Glasgow, is just 18, and she tweeted a few days ago, in case you've ever wondered why women get so frustrated with our clothing sizes, every pair of jeans pictured here is a size 12. And she's photographed six, seven pairs of jeans from different stockists, some of them from the same stockist, and Mm. the disparity is extraordinary. (laughs) So there are several inches. So Chloe Martin, her name is, I apologise, I should have said her surname. And so these jeans were from New Look, Pull and Bear, Bershka, George and Matalan. And 
I mean, I wish I could show you the picture, but I would say there's a good four inches difference mm. between Shocking, two of the pairs I of mean, jeans. One looks like a pair of child's jeans. Mm. Like that, not... that one at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, that's just that's a wrist span. <laughs> And it's just a scrunchie. <laughs> I would be very surprised if I was wrong in saying that everybody here has clothes in different sizes, correct? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a journey. Yeah. Every, time, <laughs> every time you go shopping. It's just... I don't... I mean, to the point where... So I grew up in California. There was a good 10 years when I was living here where I would only buy jeans in the States because I hate jean shopping more than I hate bra shopping, and I hate oh, bra horrible. shopping yeah. a lot. But I would always just go to Old Navy in California because I knew the size that I was there, and their sizes tend to be... I, I just knew the jeans there, and that was what I wanted to do. And then having to kind of relearn the landscape of jeans in another country was like, oh, man. And sometimes, I mean, the sizing is different anyway. And then sometimes they have, like, European sizes. And you're like, I don't even know what that is. It is just shocking. When I, I was going to say, say, oh, sorry. I was going to say something shocking. I don't own a pair of jeans. Girl. I wow. Mean, Looking at this picture, I do not blame them, you. I, no, I completely resonate with you about did you just give up the on them yeah yeah i yeah. completely oh, so you have been you've suffered and walked worn away jeans, yeah but i just find it so daunting. it's demoralizing it's just, it is demoralizing because they're so different shapes and i guess you know i've just never really thought well I've, I, I won't wear them really i'll wear bold leggings i love a legging yeah when I was a teenage girl with an eating disorder and a really toxic obsession with being a particular clothes size and perceiving my body as something that was bad if I was over a certain size or I didn't fit. And I have a very vivid memory of being in a changing room with a size of jeans, not going up, not coming anywhere close and just being absolutely overwhelmed with distress and shame and self-loathing yeah. and it sounds trivial doesn't it you know like oh we just you just have to keep trying and it's all but when you're you know at 34 now I think it's very irritating at 14 it wrecked my mental health mm. yeah absolutely it's big it, yes uh, it's a really big thing mm. and we especially when we're younger I think our dress size I mean it sounds ridiculous saying it. Here I am in my forties saying this, but when we're young our dress size is such a part of our identity, yeah. isn't it? And our self perception. Currency. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean I feel for my fifteen year old because, you know, she's going through a stage where at the moment she looks like she could be eighteen. She has developed, she looks like a young woman. Mm. Well she is a young woman, but she is different shape to most fourteen and fifteen year old girls yeah. who mm. are quite still you know, when I say slim, tiny, um, haven't developed where she has. Looks I like mean, a woman. She has, you know, double D boobs. She's got curves. She looks absolutely fabulous. I tell her all the time. She doesn't believe in it, though, which is a shame because I feel that Instagram, Snapchat, that world just shows a different sign. It shows, it, it shows me. like one one or two body types I'd both of which are photoshopped and, yeah. where they get their jeans from where to get uh, uh, the bum no. bum in a, a needle in general <laughs> <laughs> I was going to no, say they're not actually wearing jeans the... ever they're just photoshopped on their bodies yeah. 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 Okay, that's, that's, it. What that's it where is. they've got them yeah, but I, I know I feel for your daughter because I, I can remember extreme, like vividly the sort of moment I went Oh wait, those are my hips. I remember I was standing in a, <laughs> standing in a uh, dressing room, 
and looking at my body and going, I have like this weird muscle here that's growing. And my mom was like, that's, that's not a muscle. <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. And then I, from then on, remember being like, why does my, why do my hips look like this? And then trying on jeans that should, you know, I'm doing air quotes on the radio. Um, they should fit, but they don't fit. And oh, now I'm a five. Oh, okay. And the next time, oh, I'm a seven. I mean, these are U.S. sizes, mm. but like every time it would go up, it was like alarming. It's like mm. when you're a child, your mom would be like, oh, right, size up. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then for some reason, when you hit puberty and you're a teenager, it's like, you have to go up a size. And it just is this very bad, it's a bad thing to be I going up a size. I'd like to suggest that maybe it's good for shops to make us feel a little bit insecure and awkward about our bodies because when we're upset, we buy more stuff. Mm. <laughs> yes, I suppose it has. Yeah. Yes, it has a deterrent. Yeah, and why is it that like the more expensive labels are the ones that have the better tailoring and like true to size? Because mm. the minute I would try on anything that is over a certain price point, you go, mm. oh well, this usually I'm you know this size, but now I'm this mm. size, and this costs you know 120 quid versus 40 pounds, and huh? I think you know the thing about dress sizes as well. Of course, there's this great inconsistency between retailers and manufacturers and stuff, but also just the concept is so arbitrary, for example. Mm. And so there's so a friend of mine is a size 14 and she's thinner than me and I'm a size 8 because she has stature and she has build. If I was a size 14, I would be huge. I can never be a 14. I would look really, really not very well. Whereas she's super thin and she's a 14. Mm -hmm. And it's such an arbitrary coding. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. (laughs) And there are many women where if they had a dangerously low body weight would still be a bigger dress size than me when I don't have a dangerously Uh low body weight. Do you know what I mean? There are women who wouldn't have even an ounce of body fat who would still never get below a 12 or Mm. a 10. Whereas I can be a six and have body fat on me. Yeah. So the whole language around it is so random and arbitrary. Mm-hmm. I don't. We invest so much in it, even though we know it's bullshit. But just that number on the label is meaningful. I right? don't think I've, this might not be fair. I'm sure they do, but I've never, ever, ever heard a man go, "Oh, I've got to wear size 38 yes. waist jeans. I want to be a size 32 waist." Yeah, it seems very, and again, as you say, arbitrary. It has no relation to anything. anything. Mm. Yeah, no, I anything. have heard men say that, but it's never from a like they're not going to then. It's not going to ruin their day, or contribute to an already really poor body image. But that's sweeping generalizations, but I, I think it has, for the most part, a much different effect on women. Have yeah. you ever shopped somewhere because you know that you're a smaller dress size? in that shop because when I worked at The Gap we used to get loads and loads of women Um, so in my youth I worked at The Gap on Regent Street and we used to have loads of women come in and shop for jeans because they were a 4, a 6, an 8, a 10 instead of an 8, 10, 12, 14, Mm -hmm. 16 and so on the American sizes just made them feel better because Mm -hmm. the number was lower which is nuts (laughs) isn't it? It is nuts yeah but and I think and as much as I'm laughing at that maybe I think well actually sometimes I buy something in M&S because I'm a 6 in there and like on some level Mm. that must appeal to me even though I know that's garbage yeah 
Yeah, I mean, if that's your entire, if at the point that it mattered to your upbringing and going through puberty, and that was the sort of the currency, the value system yeah. was having a lower size jeans, you're not, it's very hard to, we can out logic it now and feel better about ourselves, but there's always going to be that little, oh, well, actually, last time you came in here, you were a six, yes. or you were a 16, and now you're an 18, like, it, it's very hard when, to just get rid of that. Completely. When I was a teenager, I had these pink Gap size zero jeans, and it was like I felt like I'd won the lottery when I wore that. I was size zero. I looked like my Gareth just from now. The Office. <laughs> I was a sunken skeleton girl. Oh, I looked dreadful, but in my head, that label was all that mattered. Person in other ways or not? Um, I mean, I think I was purely because of the of the size zero, because <laughs> I'd been you know, bullied so much for for my body and my weight. But I look back at those photos and think. Oh, I mean, I I wasn't healthy. I wasn't eating, so you can only, yeah. you can't really be especially happy if you're not eating on purpose. Well, you can't also be sane if you're not eating because that's a form of no. madness. Yes. Extreme hunger, like extreme tiredness, is just mm. becomes a form of madness. Yes. You can't possibly see the wood for the trees if you're starving, and you're not no. sleeping if you're starving. No. Does it go away? Those feelings, I don't think they ever do entirely. I often think no. it's a bit like a cold sore with me. When if I'm stressed or worried or sad about something else, it will sort of it flare up quite mm -hmm. dramatically and I'll have that I'll really, really struggle with my sort of body image issues. In and what does that look like for you? You don't want to go out or or you or you shop too much or you don't shop at all or what what how does that manifest? Um definitely kind of shopping you but just feeling really quite sad and quite crushed and quite ashamed and you're kind of dredging it really really dreading it if I have been out and if there are sort of pictures taken and things and just yeah. always just really feeling like I've sort of like I've let myself down and yeah. that I'm not quite and just that everybody's thinking that about me when they're looking at me which is yeah. um, which as, is a um, form of arrogance we all suffer from mm, right we mm. think that people are scrutinising us and having thoughts about us one of my favourite lines in no. a book is um, Helen Fielding and Olivia Jules is the overactive imagine in Olivia Jules and the overactive imagination and it's along the lines of um, most people aren't thinking about you they're thinking about themselves just like you are yeah, yeah. And even it's absolutely the case yeah mm -hmm. and even when people are being critical of other people you're really just being critical of yourself yeah. um, no it's very hard I, I connect with a lot of what you were saying Daisy and it, it is hard you don't just outgrow it and it's like today I'm wearing jeggings and part of the reason I'm wearing jeggings is I was going to wear my high-waisted jeans and then I remembered I was going to be sitting for two hours on this radio show and I was like, the stomach isn't going to feel great after that, you know. And it's this constant balance of, like, comfort and going, it's 2019, I'm meant to be, like, super woke and I'm meant to be, like, very positive about my body now, but then also... I'm going to feel like crap. Oh, my but, God. Do you know what? That infuriates me so much. This rhetoric that's like, no, love your body because yes. you have to. Oh, like, I hate off. it too. Every day. I hate yeah. it too. Body okay. neutral, please. I hate it too. The other day, exactly what you're talking about. The other day, I posted um, a picture of a campaign I'm doing for um, Social Enterprise Scheme. And the campaign consists of um, Michael Sheen, Chris Addison, Catelyn Moran and me. And we're talking about social enterprise for them so I posted the picture as I'd agreed to do and somebody jumped underneath in comments and said I'm so disappointed in Catelyn she looks tiny and I was really taken aback by it that in 2019 somebody was furious with Catelyn because she looked tiny in fact Catelyn hasn't lost any weight she, she's the same as always which is like a size 12 the whole time I've known Catelyn she's been a size 12 she used to be much bigger but she's 
the whole time I've known her, which is about 10 years, she's been assigned to 12. But oh, never shocking. mind. No, never I mean, mind. I realize that no one could hear my mouth falling open. But never mind. Even if she had lost weight, which she hadn't, this woman felt business. betrayed by the fact that Catelyn was there for young women, was this kind of empowering voice, and she had had the audacity in this woman's eyes to lose weight. And I thought that was fascinating and troubling, because where the hell do we get off being prescriptive mm. about... That sense of entitlement and, and that you ownership know over the a ownership. person. And you know nothing about mm. what's going yes. on with her. She could have an illness yes. and yes. have lost... And, like, oh, God, fuck, fuck whoever said that, yeah, basically. She, <laughs> she could have an illness, or she could have just decided to go to the gym, or mm. she could have been going through a busy time at work. In fact, none of these things were true. She no. hadn't actually lost any weight. It was she just, just looked thin perception. in that photo. <laughs> but I think my reaction to it was exactly what Daisy just said. I thought, you don't own her body. She can do what she likes. And I think there is this pressure, as you say, to be really woke. Oh, stop worrying about the size of your ass. It's 2019. You're a feminist. You Don't be so basic. But actually, you can't silence people's insecurities or ignore the fact that an entire culture has helped create them. Well, it's yes. funny because recently, and this is so sweet, and I think it's really lovely, I have um, lost a bit of weight on purpose, and quite a few friends have How messaged me. Oh, oh, my God, I thought you were feminist. I, <laughs> but it's been really nice. They said, um, uh, you look really good, but I feel awkward about saying yes. that, and I don't know if you, I'm supposed to, if I'm yeah. allowed to. And I'm like, well, no, I've done this on purpose. I had a goal. I, well, you know, I've gone some way to achieve. That's whatever the goal is. That's something to celebrate. I'm, you know, I'm doing it. Sense, I'm well, not. Well there is no bit of me that's being like everybody do this thing I'm doing. No, it's no. purely personal. Mm. But I yeah. think it's, it signifies a very nice change in attitude that people are saying. I don't want to reduce you to your body, but I'm going yes. to say this because I want to say you look good. And what yes. I love particularly is when people, when I haven't seen them for, you know, a time and go, oh, you look really well. Have you lost weight? And yeah, I go, that's a common thing, yeah. isn't it? And I go, yeah, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been having, you that. Say, yeah. start doing yeah. that. I've been having big legs every Friday night, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'll just go with it. And I think... Shit, I look skinny. And then I, wonder, <laughs> I worry that the next time I see them and they don't say it, I'm like, oh. Well, my, uh, it's so shameful. I'm so embarrassed to admit this. But whenever anyone says that to me, um, I do think, how fat must I have looked before? I don't care. Yeah, do you but know that what? stuff's hard to erase, mm. isn't it? If you felt it, it for long enough, then mm. it will, it's, as you this, say, pop up. I've mm. grown up with this. It's not going to, I'm not going to shake it off with a few well-meant hashtags. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think my, when I was growing up, my... Um, I, we didn't have, like, I, I can't remember ever worrying about what I looked like or the clothes. I do remember going to see my nan. And um, as I'd walk in, she would go, oh, look at you. You put on a few pounds. <laughs> and I'd just be mortified because I think, oh, my God, she's telling me how it is. And then within a second, she'd be offering me a cake and a cup yes, of tea. Yes, oh, yeah. You know, and it just, it left it there. I don't know if that was... A part of her psychology. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I... I mean, the point is about a woman's body is that everybody feels comfortable saying something. Yes, yes. Some degree, yes. they feel it's positive, negative, they constructive. Right. They feel that it's okay to say something in a way that doesn't happen to men. In no, a, yeah, it really does. So true. It's true. But um, I think when I became a mum, and I de definitely inherited the mum time. I've not got rid of it in 15 years. I mean, I've tried and then I haven't tried, but I've kind of got used to it <laughs> Both now. Both are fine. And someone said to me the other day, oh my gosh, if you got rid of that mum time, 
you know, you'd, you'd be tiny. Oh, my God, throw How them in the they? bin. They can them. cancel you them. You need to organise them into a yes. skip. I know. And they I was can just be like, cancelled. I just smiled and inside I was like, what the actual... The worst thing I yeah. had like that is I was at the gym. I used to have a personal trainer. This was a few years ago. And his girlfriend would always come to the gym at the same time. It was a very weird situation. And she'd always get the locker next to me. And I was like, all right, hun, calm down. And then she one day, I'm literally just naked, changing in the locker room, as one does. And she goes, I've lost loads of weight. You're looking really lean. And I'm like, one the unspoken thing is that you don't fucking look at somebody when they're naked next to you in the locker room. You just sneak a peek. You don't make you don't make a comment about it. And like, who are you yeah, exactly. to then comment on my Both. naked body? Very yeah. bold. So they're standing there with scorecards. Yeah. Oh, so God. then you know, but I thank killed you, Nicola her. and Kate for handing me a link on a velvet cushion because that's not very sisterly. <laughs> We're going to talk about what is sisterly uh, when we come back because uh, Daisy Buchanan, the writer of The Sisterhood, is going to be talking about her book after this record. Oh, why you look so sad, the tears are in your eyes, come on and come to me. Hello, it's Sally Hughes and Kate Severe back again. Um, that was I'll Stand By You by The Pretenders in honour of Daisy Buchanan's new book, The Sisterhood. Daisy is with us today, as is Nicola Lewis. Oh, it's been ever so quiet. They haven't really had much to say. <laughs> yeah, they've had nothing to say. Really awkward, this whole uh, thing. Awkward silences abound. They <laughs> are very shy and retiring and don't have a thought in their head or a viewpoint on anything, nothing. really. No. This has just been silence. But one of the things that Daisy has a very strong viewpoint on is the importance of sisterhood. So her new book, The Sisterhood, its subtitle is A Love Letter to the Women Who Have Shaped Me. And I think probably any woman listening will have a list of the women, if she's lucky, will have a list of the women who shaped her. Daisy, why did you want to write this book? Was it for them or was it for women? Definitely for women. I was thinking about how my own sisters are, as it says in the back of the book, the only women I would kill for and the only women I have ever wanted to kill. I'm the eldest of six girls. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. The Sisterhood <laughs> is also the name of our WhatsApp group. I'm claiming it is the first book to be named after a WhatsApp group. Uh, we're very close in age, so um, I'm 34. The youngest, Maddie and Dottie, are twins. They're 25. They'll be 26 in a couple of months. Um, very close in ages, actually. Yeah. Really, That's a lot of babies to get out in a short time. And, and we grew up and it's like when you see um, a picture of like puppies in a basket and we were constantly like jostling each other and up, up each other's bums and licking each other and pushing each other away metaphorically and literally and these are the women who taught me to love women and understand women and the thing about my biological sisters is I don't always like them but I always love them and that's how I feel about women in general I will meet women mm. who I don't get on with but I feel so passionately about wanting to understand and be compassionate and that we're all fighting together and that mm. we can come together and be greater than the sum of our parts so this is for anyone who has got women in their life that they love and I truly believe I'm really I'm so blessed to have biological sisters that I get on with because I know that it's a huge privilege to have you know a family in your life that you're close to and we're not always as close as um 
as we are now, we've had our ups and downs, but I think that you find your sisters and your sisters are your tribe. And I think that now more than ever, those relationships, you know, between women, they're the ones that lift each other up. And what's lovely is I've spoken to people who've read it and said, well, I don't have sisters, but I see my brother in this. I see my fact there's someone in my mm. life that this made me feel closer to and more connected with. Yeah, or I'm, friends. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I'm quite envious of that, actually, because I have, um, I mainly grew up with my, my mom and my, I have one sister who's younger than me. But I think I've kind of always struggled with uh, my relationships with women and the complicated feelings that come up when you are mad at somebody or maybe you don't like somebody. And the fact that you kind of had six different women um, in quite close age range to you and obviously your family, um, but that you were able to kind of play this out and kind of learn how to deal with uncomfortable feelings. Well, I really wanted to talk about that in the book because it's not always easy. And something I do quite a deep dive to into in there is competitiveness and comparison mm. and jealousy. I really try to guard against it. I think I've got quite a jealous nature. It's not me thinking, damn her, I should have this and she's got it and it's not fair. It's much more that when I see a woman succeeding um, in a really brilliant way and there are so many examples and I want to celebrate but also I feel like a bit of a failure because I've not had that success mm. and I still remember when my sister Beth rang up to say she'd got her GCSEs and she'd got one more A-star than I had the year before. I felt like I'd been mugged. I felt like she'd taken <laughs> wow. one of my exams away and it was a completely illogical but really really visceral this I can't say that word visceral reaction and that's what I wanted to get into that how yeah. you know the difference I suppose between our feelings and our facts and I think that's our behaviors mm. yes absolutely and that as women we're so used to feeling as though we're all in this very 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 small space and being told there's just one slot mm. and there's loads of you and that's you know we're, we're all being positioned against each other all the time and I think we're in this period that I'm really excited about where I see women building platforms for each other and really really pulling each other up and I think that is for me what I want sisterhood to be all about is that if you feel like there's not enough room if you're in a position to make room everybody can make a little bit more room everybody can amplify and celebrate. I think that's key, that that jealousy thing. I mean, nobody is immune to jealousy. I don't think no. I'm a particularly jealous person, but I'm certainly not immune to it. There are certainly moments no. where I feel jealousy or envy of some kind. And it's such a big step, isn't it, to think, this is me. This, yeah. this is actually me. This and, is not about mm. you and your achievement. This is not about your success. This is not about your relationship, your money. It's actually, mm. I'm having a moment and that's okay. I can know, give myself that space. Something that has been absolutely life-changing for me is there, there are a number of amazing women in our life and our friendship has begun because I've been really, really jealous. I thought, oh, they're so cool and they're amazing and I'd love to do that and then got to know them and found out how they did it and found out the context for all that and thought, no, nobody is getting handed anything. These people are working. No. Yes. It's so, so, so hard and they deserve everything and also they're very honest and they'll say there are times when it's not felt worth it because these are the compromises I have to make and I think that I try to be really really honest in the book and I think there's such a value in that saying you know things are difficult and the more we know about the whole story not yes. just the highlights the more powerful we can all be when we get together. Mm, I'm so okay. excited to read this because I think that Whenever I think about sisterhood or feminism, I always have this really old, I think it was a flyer, and it was, uh, the, I think it was like infighting of the blue stocking gang, and it's this, all these, all these, you know, old timey ladies yeah. just brawling. And that really was kind of my first sort of 
feeling and overall experience with sort of internet feminism in like 2008 was that sort of sentiment mm. and I think now I personally have come a long way just in my own um, self-acceptance and the way that I think about things and my relationships with other women and I think that that what you're talking about is so important we have to like we never talk about jealousy we never talk about envy and the difference between the two because I feel envy more than I think I've oh, felt jealousy mm. but then equally growing up and if girls were mean to me my mom would say oh they're just jealous mm -hmm. oh they're just jealous that, of you that's Which the knee-jerk response if, yeah. if ever a girl is seen to be doing something or a woman is seen to be doing something uncharming unappealing that's the knee-jerk explanation oh she's jealous she's just yeah. jealous yeah she Which wants I've what never you understood. have I've never yeah. understood it when someone said that to me. In fact, you're right. When my mum or a close friend have said, yeah, but it's because of jealousy. And I think, jealous of what? What and are they jealous Because it's so dismissive as well, isn't it? It's yeah. just jealousy. Like, yeah. no, this is something that a big thing. Huge. affects all of us. Um, I always think about the beginning of Clueless when you meet Dion and Cher gets in her car yeah. and says, we're friends because we know what it's like yeah. to have people be jealous of us. Yeah. And <laughs> it's such a brilliant <laughs> line about teenage power play. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I think that's it. And I think that we are now all under such pressure to live enviable lives. We want to be envied. We want to be the fabulous ones. Mm. And actually, it's tricky because I do think that it's... There's a very, very thin line, isn't there, between mm. the fact that women are pressured to share so much of themselves. And I write quite a lot that's very personal. I've just written a book about my family. <laughs> um, and I think there's a value to sharing. But also... I feel as though there's also a culture of women maybe doing themselves down and saying, no, no, you must look at how vulnerable I am. And you don't want to go too far in that way because we should be celebrating our strength. And I suppose what I do think, you know, we can do that's a really positive way. If you do struggle with envy, you can be part of someone else's success. And I think that we mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. struggle to put ourselves forward unless you're, I don't know, sort of a you know supernatural person who's brought up by empowered bears in a cave you're going to fall into that rhetoric of oh sorry I'm shit because that's what women are told about themselves all the time all day long from all sides so if you can find the strength in other women and celebrate that I keep saying celebrate like um like I'm hoping someone's going to bring in a cake soon I mean if <laughs> they wanted to we wouldn't fight oh, it <laughs> um, but actually it's much easier to be positive about yourself when you're being finding things to be positive about another woman because we're all it's a hall of mirrors we are we are all each other we see each other and something I write about is how I struggled so much so I've mentioned with my face and body image not liking the way I look but then in my heart and I can't be objective but my five sisters are the most beautiful women I know because I love them and I'm just so happy to see their faces and so I say I do look like a beautiful woman I look like five of them that's interesting, isn't it? Because we give, uh, we are so much kinder to people we love than we are to mm. ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a lesson in that, in you looking at your five sisters and going, God, they're babes, you know, they're yeah. absolutely beautiful girls. And then looking in the mirror and thinking you're not when you look the same as them. <laughs> and yeah, I think that extends so far. It's all women, isn't it? Everything that you sort of, that you criticise about yourself, there's probably a woman in the world and you're sort of, you're doing everybody down a bit. If it, again, to do with totally. being, being yeah. self-deprecating about my bum or whatever. Using um, your experiences with, with your sisters, when you would come up against envy or jealousy or just being angry at somebody or irritated, what have you sort of learned in the way that you've dealt with your, mm -hmm. your five other sisters that you think is kind of like applicable to everyday life? I think just that it's okay to feel furious and angry and outraged. Mm. Um, 
And I think something that I've loved about growing up in that family, because I was surrounded by girls, I went to an all-girls school, um, there wasn't any pressure on us to kind of perform a kind of girliness. And we could be girly, like I really wanted to be Miss Piggy, but Miss Piggy is so feminine in so many ways. But also, she's got a low voice and she screams and she makes herself hurt. She's a badass. And And wisecracking and smart. She's amazing. She's the best. And so we weren't there being, you know, delicate because we felt as though we had to be delicate against this sort of imagined masculine presence. We, We got everything out. We weren't silent, you know, we just, and I, I'm not an advocate for violence, but there was quite a lot of violence. The, um, the joke was, it's all fun and games till the biting starts. Because biting was always the thing that could oh end a fight. That I'd be like, I'm telling mum, you've got, you've crossed the line. So I'm not saying that is how we need to settle our disputes now as, as adult <laughs> women. But also, you know, that it's all right to feel your feelings in the moment. And sometimes getting it out then is actually much better than I think we were all told that our our feelings and our emotions are things that other people have problems with and again that oh you know she's so emotional Um, another thing I talk about in the book is this idea of the strong woman and how oh it's a great time for strong women but it's so weird that the connection between this idea of what it is to be a strong woman and toxic masculinity and a strong woman she doesn't cry and she doesn't talk very much and maybe she's got a deep voice also, I'd, I'd, I'd quite like to read a book about a woman who's just normal. Like, just, yeah. I find We're it fatiguing that a heroine now has to be such a badass mm. and so strong and feisty and has to save the world in an action film or whatever. Yeah. I'm more interested in stories about people who are just people mm. and flawed and not always superhuman and sometimes weak and vulnerable and yeah. other times find some reserve. It's just that, that idea of strong woman, I don't know, it doesn't sit well with me. It's it's weirdly reductive, isn't it? It's just another type of girl we feel the need to be. I don't have any strong woman clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, where's that shop? I wonder what their sizing is like. (laughs) (laughs) Are your your sisters on social media? Like, how has the experience been sort of writing about your family and then having that be in a book? And kind of talked about on social. Yeah, do they like, feel exposed? Well, yeah. it's nice because they're quite tucked away a bit. And actually quite a few of them don't use social media at all. What does that um, look like? My, my which, God. Oh, nice. <laughs> and so my brothers aren't either on social media. <laughs> and I think that, and I've obviously, I've shaped the story. So it's not like you could, you know, turn up at their house and, yeah, you know, protective. be like, here you yeah. are. Um, and I gave them all full copy approval. But I do wonder whether there's a big difference between reading something that your sister has written on a Word document and be like, oh, I'm really tired. And, the and, and then this it being a book. I know In that um, <laughs> when um, my last book, How to Be a Grown Up, came out and some of my sisters were at the launch and... I think they found that quite weird that they were they found it odd I think to meet people who knew quite intimate things about me and because they were mentioned in that book as well of course they had a sort of a relationship with them and understanding of them so I'm hoping it's all okay but it is a love letter and I wrote it's it yeah. a lot of it's love. not like you it's called them a herd no, of cows no, was no. it really <laughs> it's not that it's was the not. other working title but yeah, yeah I love the thought of her sitting there and another thing when we were six <laughs> you absolute bitch <laughs> it is a very very affectionate look at Daisy Buchanan's five sisters and how they made her the woman she was today but uh, but I would stress that it's not just a book for somebody who has biological sisters I have brothers and it's really not about that it's about friendship and what women can do 
for one another and the impact that we can have on one another, right? Thank you. That is exactly what I was aiming for. (laughs) So that came out last Thursday. You can get it literally anywhere in any good bookshop, as you can with Mind Over Clutter, which is Nicola Lewis, a.k.a. This Girl Can Organise. Her book is out tomorrow. So if you go to a bookshop tomorrow, it is available. Uh, Daisy Buchanan is not to roll a girl on Twitter and you are underscore this girl can yeah, organise Instagram, on please Instagram. Remove underscore. There is no one on there called this girl can organise. <laughs> and when I set it up, I was so mortified with the underscore. I was like, no. <laughs> and I can't contact Instagram. Can anyone inform this me This is how such a to... 2019 problem. My <laughs> yeah. underscore hell. Yeah. yeah. I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, Instagram helper. Um, and Kate Severe is just herself, beginning with C, not K. I've been Sally Hughes. We will be back next month. I don't know who we'll be talking to and what we'll be talking about. Um, but it's been a pleasure to natter today. Um, so we'll see you next month thank you Daisy Buchanan thank you Nicola Lewis and obviously thank you to Kate Sevier we're going to play out with something uh, something in honour of Daisy's book see you Aww. next month girls we run this mother-